welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Well, good morning, everybody, and I say morning because... As some of you know, it's extremely early, so I'm going to be a little bit uh, froggy this morning. Got my morning cup of joe here. Uh, No wine yet. Uh, Although, from what everyone told me, that made a pretty good podcast, so maybe I should have put a little Bailey's in this coffee this morning uh, to get things kicked off. But uh, sorry I've been busy once again. I am really, really happy to say that uh, the last episode of Knock On TV uh, has now been finished up. Um, me and Antoine worked really hard on that, and this is going to be an episode that should definitely go down in the history books for hunting television. Uh, it's going to be an awesome, awesome, uh, super high-energy episode, so... If you're into the knock-on-TV hunting stuff, then you're definitely going to want to check this out. Uh, I'm pretty sure it airs the last week of June, very last week of the second quarter of TV season. So it's going to be an exciting time, but I was happy to get that out of the way and now be able to step into several different things that I've got on my calendar here for this summer, Um, one of which uh, hasn't been announced yet, but um, I am actually going to be at the Junior World Archery Championships um, on behalf of World Archery. Um, I'm going to be doing some some free consultation and free seminars and free coaching for um, all the Junior World teams and coaches, um, and that's going to be on behalf of World Archery and Hoyt and Easton, so I'm really looking forward to that. I'll be there uh, kind of midway through the tournament so that I'll also be able to be there for the finals, and uh, last time I talked to Juan Carlos, it sounded like they wanted to have me commentating for the finals uh, for the live broadcast as well, so that could be pretty cool. And uh, I also got, uh, for any of you out there who are down in the Atlanta area, um, I'm actually scheduled to be down at a great place. Uh, we've got we've got archery friends all over the world, and I try to continue to grow all that and work with people that are familiar with everything that we're doing. And um, I'm gonna be down at Aikens Car Sales or Wild Willies um, in Winder, Georgia. And I'm going to be down there on Saturday, June 27th. Um, so this is going to be uh, pretty dang cool. Going to be able to um, have open reins to ask me questions. Um, it's a great, uh, it's a great dealership. Uh, my buddy Chris is actually uh, the marketing manager there and has done a really good job with not only that dealership but he also does um a lot with 
um, the Georgia bow hunters down there and some of the Georgia target archers and promoting archery down there. And um, so everyone down in that whole part of the world, make sure you swing by on Saturday, June 27th. Um, if you want to call in and, uh, you know, get any details, I guess you can do that. But it's going to be at uh, 220 West May Street uh, in Winder or Winder. I guess I don't know the correct pronunciation, but uh, it's going to be a pretty cool day. And I'm going to give away some archery items. I'm going to bring some personal stuff down there to give away. And uh, also going to, once again, have free reins for questions and answers. And I'm sure the dealership is going to uh, run some some truck specials for any of you hunters out there looking for a new ride. So um, that's kind of what I've got going here in the month of June. Really looking forward to that Junior World Championships. Love working with kids. Um, I like to get to see some of the national coaches um, over the past year here. I haven't been able to travel internationally as much as I used to, so it's going to be great to catch up with some familiar faces and also see my good friends at World Archery, so it's going to be a good time. But uh, a lot of the motivation to do this podcast, to be honest with you, came yesterday because it kind of sucks there's so many times where my phone will ring and I'll end up having a conversation with a friend and as soon as I hang up I wish I would have had some type of recording of it because there's so much good information that's delivered um, during some of these events or phone calls I guess and yesterday's was I actually got a call from Frank Zane again and uh, Frank was kind of checking up on me with his shoulder, and he's also um, recovering from his shoulder surgery and starting to be able to shoot his bow again. So he was calling me about some questions that he had regarding form and stuff because he's also shooting left-handed now as well, Um, not with his teeth, just left-handed. So we went through several things in regards to archery, but then we also started touching on a lot of... uh, just a lot of topics that were um, just a little bit off subject. And it's always fun for me to talk with people that are super high-level competitors in different fields because a lot of times the different feelings and experiences that I had as, I guess, a professional archer and and as an athlete, um, a lot of times I've, I've wondered if other people experienced them the same way or if if some of the experiences that I had, um, I guess, were more inclined to a certain type of personality. And uh, the subject that we got on yesterday was actually uh, in regards to being in the zone. Um, because as an athlete, when the time comes that you act, that you have that performance of a lifetime, a lot of times the athletes, everything just happened so fast or they were so focused that it they don't really realize what had happened until after it was done. And a lot of a lot of my performances were that way. Um, 
most of my most of my training sessions and and most of my uh, workouts, to be honest with you, um, I really strive to try to get to that state. Um, I just have a lot of focus, and when I decide to do something, a lot of times it's really difficult to get me distracted, and I don't know if that's just part of my personality trait or uh, or if it's you know part of something psychologically, but what I do know is my ability to to get into that la la land is is pretty high. I think it's a lot higher than a lot of archers out there, and sometimes I wonder if that's what separates some of these archers that are just so good out on the competition field as well as uh, golfers or really anyone that's in a finesse style sport and uh, I've read several different books on uh, learning to deal with that and trying to figure out other ways to get into the zone it's it's pretty interesting so if you're if you're if you're the type of athlete that wants to try to hone in some of your mental skills, you know, finding some sports psychology books or looking up some tar- some topics specifically and doing some research on um, being able to get into the zone, um, almost like a meditative state, really. That's the stuff that really seems a little bit far out there for the average guy that's listening, but I know that for me... Um, there's certainly times where I did things where I almost got all the way home and then kind of looked at my scorecard and kind of thought, well, crap, I didn't even know I had done that. I guess I probably should have made more of a big deal about it when I did it. But, um, that's the kind of stuff that you really need to be able to understand a lot better as an athlete. And I just got done finishing an article uh, for Bow International Magazine. It's their 100th edition this month. And um, they actually wanted an article on the subject of um, kind of, I guess, what's what's happening with my recovery, the recovery process, you know, preventative um, things that I could have done to prevent the injury, et cetera, et cetera. And, and then also how a person that's going through that can actually get back into the game and be able to get back on a competition line again. So in regards to that, one of the subjects that I talked on is a point that I cover a lot of times when I'm working with larger teams and larger groups. And that's um, the point that I really believe as an athlete there's three fundamentals that are critical to having high-level performance, and that's going to be your mechanical or your technical, um, which would be your equipment or your shooting form, and then also the physical, which would be your actual physical uh, preparedness for something, for example, how you practice, as well as how you condition your actual body to be prepared for the elements at the event that you're going to be at. 
Um, this is getting really popular right now in the hunting world. You know, it seems like a lot of the hunt to train stuff or train to hunt stuff um, is just really catching fire right now, which is great because, you know, I've been focusing on my my fitness for over 20 years now as a competitive archer. And I, other than literally three years of my 3D career that I let myself go, um, I have always put a lot of emphasis on my physical training because I think that's the one thing that continued to let me separate myself from most of the archers out there. Now, nowadays, there's a lot more people getting on that bandwagon, so there still is an advantage to it, but the advantage isn't as at a high level as it was back when I was competing. You know, most of the archers, um, you know, I'd teach shooting form and stuff, and I'd talk about stance, and I'd, I'd tell archers, you know, well, you know, every shot you have to look down at your feet, make sure your feet are in the right position. And, you know, a lot of the, the archers that I was dealing with um, from here in the States, you know, they would... I'd kind of look over most of their, uh, I guess, fitness level and realize that most of them couldn't see their feet. Uh, They could just see their belly. So I would just let them know, hey, you know, obviously if you can't see your feet, we're going to have to talk about the fitness part later. But the fitness um, is definitely a huge part of that um, physical preparation. So the last of the three is going to be your mental uh, strength. And this is the one thing that tends to have the most importance after someone has almost screwed up at a tournament or something like that. Um, It seems like no one really wants to put a lot of time and energy into the mental side until they're tied with one arrow left in a shoot off and they pull back and their heart's beating so hard they you know they can't take it and they end up blowing the shot and blowing the tournament or or the guy that you know pulls back and on a big deer or big elk for the first time and um or may not maybe not even the first time but pulls back and just cannot control those nerves and ends up kind of blowing the whole situation because they weren't able to deal with that pressure because they hadn't done anything to prepare for it. And what I do with a lot of people is I like them to to, to make a, a personal assessment of those three things, you know, your mechanical, your physical, and your mental. And kind of if you had a, a pie Think of how those three aspects of your game would be divided into that pie. You know, as I think for a lot of people, um, if they looked at it, I would venture to say, you know, between their working on their equipment or practicing, I would venture to say that those two things are probably almost 90% of that pie. Um, whereas, like I said, I know from being, um, an athlete that has been on a, on a 
the highest of levels from an archery point of view, um, as well as some other sports, you really have to have a balance between your equipment, your training, your physical shape and how physically prepared you are for an event, and then also that mental ability to keep all those things together. And what's important about having a pie that's divided into thirds instead of divided into half is that what I found is once you get to uh, any type of competition or pressure type situation, there's going to be times where your equipment isn't necessarily perfect or there's going to be times where your your shooting or your form isn't necessarily perfect. And if you have three pieces of that pie, what I found is it only really takes two to hold up a good performance. So if you go to a performance and all you have is good equipment and good shooting form, then you're in really good shape. As long as one of those two things don't have any type of, you know, decline. Um, Now, however, if all of a sudden the mental aspect jumps in to where mentally you start feeling some pressure and you're not able to deal with it, it's going to end up causing a decline in that in that ability to actually execute your shot. And from that point of view, you really have to be able to rely on that mental side in order to, to balance things out. If you only have two, then as soon as one goes to crap, you're kind of screwed. Whereas if you have three, it seems like one always will counteract another. There was days where I know for a fact my bows were not prepared for the event that I was at. Um, actually, the first ever uh, outdoor FIDA tournament that I went to was at the Arizona Cup, and I went out there with two different bows with two different setups um, and pretty much used the ranking round as the time to sight in both of those bows and try to decide which one actually shot the best in those types of conditions because I was a 3D shooter. I wasn't I wasn't a FIDA shooter at all. So I had had my 3D bow because I was comfortable with it, but I knew that it wasn't favorable in those types of winds. And then I set up a bow that I thought was set up like what most of the feeder shooters were using simply because I knew that there was going to be advantages at those longer distances and with those types of windy conditions um, to that setup. So I was really tottering back and forth between the two. And because of the time of year and the fact I still had snow at home, I didn't even have sight marks for 90 meters or 70 meters. So I actually had to get my sight marks dialed in during the tournament so um the moral of that story is my equipment was crap but mentally i had told myself before i was going to go there or before i went there that i was going there to win that event and i told every single person back at work the same thing because they were all saying why the heck are you going out to shoot a feed event and i said well i'm going there to win it so um and I did. I ended up winning it. And it was 100% because mentally 
I knew that I was the underdog there. No one wanted to see the, the 3D guy, uh, or no one was expecting the 3D guy to win, so I wasn't even on anyone's radar as being a contender. I had everything in my advantage from that point of view. My equipment wasn't set up, but I had a few days to get it dialed in. Um, I knew even shooting bad, I could qualify to make the to make the eliminations, and as long as I was able to shoot good on that second day or third day, then I would be fine, and that's what ended up happening. But if mentally I wasn't in that position, that could have been an absolute disaster at that tournament. So, you know, we really have to be honest with ourselves and start to weigh out how much we're actually focusing on some of these elements that I can, I'm telling you that they're critical. You can trust my word if you want or not, but um, I know that they're critical. I know that these are the three elements that really um, distinguish an athlete, especially in our field. And, you know, like I said yesterday when I was talking with Frank, we talked a lot about um, some of these mental characteristics because he was always known as, as one of the people in bodybuilding that had such a high education for that type of thing. And he's extremely educated and smart. Um, he's just really, really fun for me to talk to um, because of that. So hopefully maybe I can get him to get back on a show on a podcast here and I almost would like to try to revisit some of those same conversations I don't want to go into all of it now and end up making it a spoiler um, because the way we talked freely about those subjects was really cool and that's what happened so many times another archer will call me and ask a question hey I've got this bow right now and you know I'm trying to figure this out what do you think and and, uh, and I actually had this conversation with Mike Carney um, just about two weeks ago. Mike Carney from Bowhunter TV called me, and he was asking me, he had some questions on one of his setups. And, you know, as you guys know, you know, he's one of the main technical people for Bowhunter TV, and he's a great bow mechanic, but he was stumped on something. And him and I ended up talking for over an hour about different subjects. And once I started telling him, different things that were happening and why and everything like that. He was really uh, fascinated and interested in that conversation. So, you know, he kept asking questions, and a lot of times that's the stuff that makes these, or that could make some of these podcasts so original. Um, A lot of times when I post that I want to get some subjects from everyone out there, in regards to what you want to hear about, do me a favor and make sure that if you're going to ask for a subject, uh, you at least have listened to previous podcasts. And I know a lot of, there's only so many questions in archery. A lot of times they are on similar subjects, the questions that I answer. A lot of the questions that I selected today, you know, have been talked about at some level in a previous podcast, and that's going to happen but there's always different little spins to that, or there's ways that you can relate a specific subject specific to yourself that gives me a reason to answer it just a little bit differently. So I would uh, 
encourage everyone out there who's listening to this podcast, uh, if you're going to ask a question in the future, make sure that you've taken the time to listen back through the other podcasts, um, just so that we're not answering the exact same questions all the time. But I know off the bat, based on the number of questions that I got um, since asking you all what you want to hear, I know for sure that we're going to have multiple podcasts um, today. So I'm going to cover a lot of those questions in the next podcast, actually, because um, part of the reasoning behind this podcast, other than my conversation with Frank, which is kind of what spurred it on, um, is a conversation that I had with two other archers of that I'm friends with, and they are on the way to a tournament, probably right now as I'm recording, and they wanted to, had a few subjects they wanted to, uh, for me to speak on, and one of them was in regards to um, kind of some some inspiration for this coming weekend and being able to have a good performance. Um, I guess some some motivational pep talk, so to say. And the other one had a good question too, but I'll have to answer that in the other podcast. So. I guess this particular one is going to be relative to the questions that the two archers, and I'll keep them confidential for now. Let's just call one of them drama and one of them mama. Um, We're going to go through some inspirational things that I think is important for all of you out there because actually another person um, said that they were on the way to the ASA tournament uh, as well this weekend and they wanted to to get a little bit of podcast in before they got there so i think these are some topics that any of you going to a tournament can benefit from because once again the one thing that i think everyone is neglecting right now is their ability to sharpen their mind and sharpen their confidence um you know, a lot of times when I go and I work with big groups of coaches, um, sometimes you have to bring those coaches um, to a level where they start looking at things from the athlete's point of view. Um, and sometimes it, you get lost in just trying to to push someone just to win, 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 win all the time, and it's all about score. Um, and score does matter. It's, I mean, it is important. It is a way of, it is a way of, I guess, seeing progression through score. But you know, in my opinion, a lot of times these coaches, or sometimes even the the archers themselves. They're so focused on wanting to know where the arrow goes that it ends up dictating everything else about their shot or or about their score. You know, when I look back at when I shot FIDA at 90 meters, you know, so many of the younger kids 
were in the habit of every single time they shot, they, they were trying to dip their head to their spotting scope before the arrow almost even got to that target. And, or they were, as soon as they were shooting, they were just turning their head back to look at their parents or look at their coach so that they can tell them what the score, you know, where the arrow landed, where the arrow landed. Whereas for me, if I knew my bow was sighted in, I would stand there and execute five or six shots before I would check to see where it went because I was always judging myself off execution. Now, if I was shooting in a real heavy wind and I needed to know what the arrows were doing uh, based on where I was holding or how I was trying to bubble, then I would use my spotting scope a lot more. But for the most part, um, I just really like to have all of my attention focused on my execution and my form because in the end, that is all that matters. If you can stand at home and at any time during your practice round, shoot six arrows down there and they're all wadded up tight in the the X-ring, then technically you have everything that you need to be able to do that every single time. It's just a matter of trying to figure out how you can put that together more often. Or if you're an archer that's at a level that you know deep down that when you practice at home, you are practicing at the same level as all the people that are winning the event that you're going to. And you know deep down that you're capable of winning. Um, Actually, right to the left of me here in my office, I've got an old cabinet that is filled with scorecards. And I have a scorecard in there from the very first time I shot a 3D event. Um, And I was an amateur at the time, but I shot a 3D event out in Virginia. And there was a lot of great 3D shooters at the time there. And this was a local shoot during the off season it was i think in like december or november there was a lot of great archers there i was there with the chapel brothers and uh i ended up shooting like 32 up uh, back then you know with with asa scoring and and uh it was a 20 target range you know only only missing four 12s and and especially at the distances that we shot back then, um, everyone was coming over to f- to find out who the heck I was because I wasn't a pro. I was just you know an open sea shooter, and and the score was pretty unreal. And it was then that I realized, and the Chapel Brothers told me they said, "Kid, you need to go pro." If you're shooting like that here, there's no reason why you shouldn't shoot like that at a tournament. And it took me a little while to get my head around that, but eventually that is really, that statement is what means everything as a competitor is as long as you can do it at home, there's no reason you can't do it at the tournament. It's when you let the outside forces clog up your mind and when you let other people's expectations determine your outcome, that's when you start to limit yourself. 
um, your vision is literally getting stopped halfway to the target because you're only seeing what everyone else expects instead of you visualizing what you know you're capable of and literally creating something, creating a whole new expectation from someone else. Um, you know, instead of people expecting you to, to derail or not expecting you to perform good, you really want to get to the point where as soon as you step there, step out on that course, you want people to expect that you're going to shoot awesome and they're going to put they're going to have to put demands on themselves to step up to that level you know as as soon as you start uh, limiting yourself based off what other people uh what other people's view of you as or if you're worried about what other people are thinking then again you're going to start limiting yourself i remember when I felt like I really made it in the pro level when I was in McKean, Pennsylvania, and I was at the second leg of the IBO Triple Crown. And this was this was my um, during my rookie season as a pro. And at that time, I guess it would have been uh, June, I believe. So. You know, by then there was almost six months of tournaments that had kind of gone through between the ASA IBO and at the time the NABH or the Cabela's Tour. Um, there was six months of us competing as pros, and I remember coming off a course and I was kind of sitting under a tree, and during the first day I was kind of right there within striking distance. And I remember I came out off the course and kind of sat down under a tree without really seeing anyone because I had to add up everyone's scorecards and double check them and sign off. And I remember um, Shannon Caudill and Johnny Heath coming together. And, you know, they were asking one another how each other shot because both of them were in contention of winning that tournament. And... I remember, you know, Johnny said, well, I, you know, I got this score and, you know, well, I might be leading. And then Shannon looked at him and said, well, I think you probably won it. And I remember him saying, well, the kid's still out there. Would the kid shoot? Which that was my nickname then. So I remember thinking to myself, if two of the, you know, best pros on the circuit right now are questioning whether or not they won because my scorecard's still open out in the air then then that's pretty much proven to me that I've made it to the level that I wanted to make it at and as weird as it sounds that was a big confidence booster for me it uh it kind of gave me I had I guess I had the confidence but it gave me reassurance that other people were starting to see the potential that I had to to do that on the course. So, you know, one thing that I've learned as an athlete and talking with people like back then, uh, Sonny and Randy Chapel, um, 
or back, you know, I, I, I was, I couldn't, I couldn't rent a car back then. I was too young to rent a car. So I had to travel with, you know, with those guys or Jerry Carter, um, from Carter releases back when he went to all the shoots and sold Carters out of a suitcase. Uh, my deal with him was he'd let me sleep in there. Uh, he'd let me stay at their hotel as long as I drove them around in the in the car, which worked perfect for me because I couldn't rent one myself. So I would just fly to the airport wherever Jerry was landing and let him rent the car, and then I would pretty much chauffeur him around. Um, but you know, people like Jerry and the Coddles, um, the Chapel Brothers, uh, Ulmer, Dave Step, these are all people that I looked up to and were successful people and you know you start to try to put together all these little things that these people have in common which is kind of yesterday what I was talking with Frank about is trying to put together the things that people that are successful or the people that are winning at these tournaments the things that they have in common so I'm going to go over here several things that mentally all of you out there who are either heading to that tournament this weekend and good luck to all of you out there heading to Kentucky for the ASA. Um, I'm going to give you some little snippets to think about. Um, So here's a few little inspiring words from the dud. And then also I'm going to give you a couple key words that I think are going to be critical to having a top performance. So the one thing that I've learned through the years of, of rooming and travel with really great people is one time I was told to act the way that you want to become until you become the way that you act. So, you know, that's, a critical thing for any athlete that's going to be a good sport and have good sportsmanships. That's one thing that I was always proud of. And as many times as I wanted to sometimes uh, take out my frustrations, um, especially if I underperformed, I still would think about this saying and a lot of times I had these written down these were things that I would write down in a little book and funny enough I actually have this book right here under my desk I just slid it out thinking I think I have that book here still but I used to have a book that I carried with me in my stool during the 3d days um, whereas I would write down certain things for me to think about in between shots Um, I would, instead of trying to gab with the whole group and lose focus on what I was there for, a lot of times I would take some notes in my book. Um, I would write down maybe what I shot or what I should have shot it for, how things went. But then I would also reflect on some of these sayings and at time I had different ones at different times, but, um, that first one, act the way you want to become until you become the way you act. That's 
pretty much a direct reflection of positive self-talk. You know, you can, if you tell yourself you're at a certain level enough, you will get to that level. Um, You know, but I would also encourage you in regards to this statement is to not just limit it to um, just wanting to win all the time. You also need to, to, to think about just acting as a good person and being a good loser as well as a good winner. And that kind of leads right into the next thing. Um, when times are good, be grateful but when times are bad, be graceful. Um, that's one thing that I think this industry, and especially the professional level, um, could not possibly have enough of. Um, there's so many, it seems like the really, really good people out there, you know, the people that you love to see win a tournament, it's because... Um, they're grateful, but then it's also because even if they have a bad day, they come off the course and they're graceful. And, you know, a Jesse Broadwater can have the worst day ever shooting, but he can come off a course literally a minute later and be willing to help someone. And that's, that's what we need from everybody. Um, another thing is something that I learned, um, from Terry Wonderly years ago, and it was a statement that he made when he said, learn from the past, prepare for the future, play in the present. This is something that I think is important for everybody because one of the people that's listening right now, I know, uh, drama, this is something that you really need to think about in regards to those days where you aren't shooting that good or you're expecting to shoot good but you're not you have to to learn from the past and know that okay I might have made a mistake or I might have had a bad day yesterday and learn from it but you also need to be able to play in the present and realize that you do not have control of anything that has already happened I mean, it's long gone. You're not going to pull any of those arrows back. You're not going to be able to get any of those arrows and put them back in your quiver. So, you know, learn from it. Try to pick things out that you know that you did wrong and make a deliberate intention to do those right so that when you're playing in the present, you're going to be able to ultimately have the performance that you want to have. The next thing here is something that I actually already touched on a little bit earlier is an athlete's limits begin where their vision ends. And if you're only able to see your level of archery or how well you're going to do at a tournament based on everyone else's expectations, um, then you're going to really, really limit yourself. I remember, uh, I can't even tell you how many people did not believe that I was a professional archer. I mean, it was like I almost got tired of telling people that I was because I made such 
a jump in progress over a two-year period of time that people back from my home area, when they heard I was out shooting professionally, they were just like, uh, yeah, we've seen you shoot, so I don't really think that's true. And, hey, it's because I saw more of myself than what everyone else did, and I made a commitment to myself to learn to shoot that hinge release and change my way of shooting archery. And literally in one off season, I completely changed. I might as well have changed my name because my scores jumped 40, 50 points. And instead of having bad days where I shot 70 down, my bad day might be 10 or 15 down um, and it was all because I did not believe what everyone else did I kept seeing myself as being just as good as anyone else because I knew deep down that there was no one else out there that was going to work harder than me at doing it and in everything I've ever done in life um, all the way back to, you know, high school, you know, it's, it's funny when I was, when I was 10, I was five foot three, 130 pounds. I had to play football as a center on the teenage team because I was too fat. So, all I did was get pushed around and beat up by kids that were older than me for the first two years that I played football. Well, that was when I was 10. When I was 14, I was 6'3", 130 pounds. So things changed a lot. And a lot of the coaches that I had from you know two years earlier you know, when I showed up and told them that I was, you know, the starting quarterback on the team, they didn't even believe it. And, you know, once again, it just, you know, your limitations begin right where your vision ends. And I always could see more because I knew what was inside. And that's really all I focused on. And I think for any of you out there, uh, that really believe deep down that you're better than what you're than what you are at these tournaments then you need to just go out there and do it focus on your shots don't worry about anyone else don't worry i mean by all means don't worry about the trophy or winning a plaque from the asa because i can tell you i have a whole bunch of them over here and they're all tarnished no, I guarantee you no one out there listening right now remembers any of these being won. So what's the importance? It's not like you winning this is going to change the world. You're doing it for yourself. You're not doing it for everybody else. So there's really not the type of pressure that you believe there is simply because you know, in the end, it's a tournament. There'll be another one in a couple weeks. And the people who won this week will soon be forgotten about and everyone will be focused on the next one. 
And the reality is everyone out there, for the most part, is focused on what they're doing. So you need to be able to do the same. You need to focus on what you need to do to make the same type of shots that you're going to make or that you do make in the backyard. Now what I'd like to do is I want to talk with you about seven characteristics that are common in all mentally tough athletes. And these are characteristics that have been studied and that have been proven and characteristics that regardless of sport are critical to anyone who is going to be a mentally tough athlete. And really you can break these down into what I call the seven C's of a mentally tough athlete. So the first is competitiveness. Um, A real competitor or or someone that is just deep down super competitive um, and really wants to win those people are the competitors that take the bad breaks and then they use them to drive themselves to get that much better you know I remember hearing an interview I'm originally from the Chicago area. That's where I grew up and played. And um, I remember an interview with Michael Jordan, and he was talking about the fact that the coach during practice, um, you know, they are always divided into teams. And what they would do is, um, you know, with at the break time between practice during a scrimmage, the coach would take Jordan and he would put him on the other team that was way behind. And he said it was unreal that regardless of how far behind the B team was, he would not want to, he just didn't want to lose. It wasn't a matter of A team or B team. He just didn't want to lose. And he said that sometimes those second halves were some of the most competitive basketball that they played because he would do anything to make sure that he won. And, you know, that's exactly what I'm talking about here. Um, You take your bad breaks and you use them to make you better. You use them to know that you need to work harder. Um, Don't take those bad breaks and let them get you in a downward spiral. You know, a lot of times people say, well, I shot two eights, and then all of a sudden I just, you know, I kind of like gave up inside, and I just, you know, then I just shot eights the rest of the day, or things were going good until I shot the five. Well, the great thing about ASA is they have 12s. That's the whole, that's why everyone liked the ability to make up ground. Um... You know, it's one thing if it's day one. Uh, it's another thing if it's the last target. You know, if if it's your last target and you make a bad shot, well, yeah, there's nothing you can really do about it. But if it's day one, come on, get over it. Um, you know, once again, you don't have control on an arrow that's already been shot. So the only thing you do have control of are the arrows that are still in the quiver. So you know, be competitive about it. 
you know, quitters are the ones that take the bad breaks and use them as a reason to give up. Take your bad breaks and use them as a driver so that you get better. Be competitive. The second thing is, you know, you have to have confidence. All champions, no matter at what level, have a can-do attitude. I personally haven't ever come across someone that excels at a sport or excels at any type of athletic and isn't confident in what they're doing and have a can-do attitude. I mean, they you have to be able to trust what you've put in for work. You have to be able to trust your shot. You have to 100% have a can-do attitude, just like what I mentioned earlier in regards to the Arizona Cup. When I went out there the first time, that was as a challenge. Someone told me I couldn't do it. A FIDA shooter told me I couldn't do it because I was a 3D shooter. So in my mind, that was a challenge, and I was confident enough as an archer that it didn't matter what the target was. I could still go out there and make shots no matter what the distance or no matter what the target. If I can make a perfect shot in my barn, I can make a perfect shot at 90 meters at the Arizona Cup. So I had a can-do attitude. I had confidence in my archery, not just in one style. You know, you look at people like Jesse Broadwater, you know, he's a great archer, you know. You look at people like Levi or Ulmer, you know, they can go out and shoot an arrow at anything and do it well because they have confidence in their archery, not just their specific sport or venue. You know, back when um, a lot of times if you if you really want to help your mental game, you one, you surround yourself with greatness, but also start paying attention to people that are really on a winning roll and they have momentum. Um, because just like what I just told you about Michael Jordan, same is true. I remember when Tiger Woods was just dominating golf and I enjoy golf. I wouldn't consider myself really a golfer, but I do like golf and I know I know the finesse that it takes to do that. And when Tiger was on his game, he was amazing to watch. And I remember an interview where he said, "Every time I play, in my mind, I'm the favorite." Because the the interviewer said, "You know, well what do you do you think that you're a favorite at this event or maybe said, you know, Phil was the, was the favorite this weekend because he's been on a roll or whatever. And I remember Tiger saying, well, every time I play in my mind, I'm the favorite. That's the confidence that you have to carry over to a tournament. In your mind, you should be the favorite and that should be enough. The next one is going to be your control. And this plays in a little bit to you know, what I talked about, about being able to, um, 
being able to allow those bad breaks to just to let them go. You know, control is all about um, how successful athletes can contain their emotions because in the end, unless it's the very last arrow of that tournament and the tournament's over, your emotion can make very sudden changes in your performance. So you have to learn to just take that and contain that and just keep it cupped in your hands until everything's done before you let it out. Um, you know, one of my one of my most prized uh, plaques that I have is um, back in high school when you know the the high school coaching committee gave me a um, you know a sportsman's award. You know, I got voted the most, having the most sportsmanship of anyone um, in our conference. And that, to me, means almost or probably more than anything that I have here from archery point of view or archery medals because those are the things that people remember forever and those are the things that really are a true reflection of your morals and in relation to what I'm talking about right now, it's a reflection of your control. You know, there's so many tournaments where a top-level archer has a bad break, has a judge call an arrow that's wrong, or uh, he just literally screws up or forgets to set a sight, or, you know, a year ago, I think, you know, there was a, a big arrow call debate at the at the uh, ASA tournament, and a lot of archers' emotions ends up really showing a true reflection of their control and not being able to contain that. So if you want to perform better, you need to be able to control those emotions during the performance and try to stay at a stable level mentally. It's going to help you achieve what you want to. If you're letting your goods and your bads have quick swings on your emotion, then you're going to be in for a roller coaster ride. There's no doubt about it. The next one is going to be commitment. Now, this is something that, this is one of the things that for me, um, as I'm constantly asked by people for, you know, whether or not I'll, I'll coach them, um, a lot of times I kind of let this play out for quite a while because I want to really know how committed someone is. I know that I know my what I was like. I know what my commitment was like to sport or what my commitment is really to almost any athletics. Um, but sometimes there's people out there that just kind of want it. They don't really, really want it. And you have to look down into yourself and you have to really sit, you have to really assess, am I really committed to this? Am I a hundred percent committed? Because if you're not, then why are you upset if you're underperforming? 
I mean, mentally tough athletes focus their time and energy on goals and dreams, and they're always self-directed, they're committed, they're highly motivated. You know, they say that motivation is what gets us going, but commitment is what keeps us going. You know, being committed to learning your game and not letting any type of flaw in your shooting fall through the cracks. You know, a lot of people always want to, they want to avoid the things that are tough. You know, people don't want to learn to shoot a back tension because, well, if I shoot the back tension, you know, I... I don't want to have an arrow get away from me in the wind or, you know, there's always the small excuse, but it all, it all comes down to commitment and how committed you are. If you're really committed to being the best archer you can be, then if you've got target panic, then there's no reason to make excuses. You can't shoot a trigger. I don't know how many times I have to say it. If you have a thumb trigger and you don't punch it for six months of the year while you're shooting at home, but you go to a tournament and you start punching it, then I'm sorry. You can't go to a tournament with a trigger if you really want to get better. You know, so many people don't want to not have control during a tournament. So they shoot something where they have control. And, um, you know, I forget, I forget what the technical term for it was, but, you know, several weeks ago I had an, an email from a guy that was really battling what release he should shoot and stuff. And he said, well, and I kind of told him what he needed to shoot. And then he said, well, I shoot this release because, you know, a lot of times I like to force fire it. And I said, well, what the hell is that? I mean, I just kind of emailed back and said, no comprendo. I mean, a force, I said, do you mean punch? And he said, well, not punching it, just force firing it. And I said, well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You know, that's, you're making a new word for the same thing. The bottom line is you're punching it. You're asking me how to get rid of punching a release. You can't have a release that you can punch, especially if it's during the tournament, because that's when you're going to do it the most. You know, you have to be committed hundred percent. If you're on the way to that tournament right now, then you don't need to be thinking about what you didn't do or that your mind has been on other things or, you know, you shouldn't even have in your mind some of the negative type things. You should be a hundred percent committed to, okay, I'm on the way to the tournament. Here's my commitment. I'm going to step to the line and I'm going to shoot one arrow at a time. Regardless of where the arrow lands, I'm going to be happy with the fact that I tried my best during that shot, and each and every time I'm going to try to shoot a 10 in my mind and focus on my form. Commit to just performing one arrow at a time, and again, good things are going to eventually happen not every weekend is going to be your weekend even if you're a really good archer you're going to have times where you go on streaks and that's just how it is you're going to have times where you feel like 
you shoot a great round, but it's just not enough. And hey, that's how, that's where the cards fall. But then you're also going to have times where you don't quite perform as well as you think you could have, but it'll be enough. Because you stayed in the game, you didn't let yourself get derailed. So remember that. Motivation gets us going, but commitment is what's going to keep you going. The next thing is going to be composure. Um, This is similar to control in a way. Um, But your composure is kind of a reflection of, it's a reflection of your emotions. It's what you show everybody else. And what I teach my athletes is and what I teach especially what I teach my archers is that you need to learn to expect to have two to three bad calls per game mentally you need to know that right now if you're on the way to London you should just say hey there's going to be two or three calls that don't go my way I don't have control over that and I'm going to maintain my composure when it happens because I can tell you that was one thing that I really struggled with and Tim Strickland pulled me aside one time and he told me he said John you do not have control on that it's gonna happen it did happen get over it and he just like drove it in my mind and eventually I went home and I reflected on it long enough to realize, okay, looking back, he's right. He's a hundred percent right. Several times during a round, a judge will come over. He won't see it the same or the three people in your 3d group don't see the arrow the same or two people call another guy's arrow in and you're sitting there thinking, well, are these two guys working together? I mean, that's clearly out. They're calling it in. Then that guy called that guy's in. Well, instead of getting upset about it, what you can just say is, okay, well, at least one of those are out of the way today. I know it's coming. You know, I would do that. I'd shoot in FIDA. And as soon as two of the guys on my target or one of the guys on my target would say, well, I think it's out, so I have to call a judge, and you know, here comes the judge, and if I'm looking at it thinking, I know that's in, but whatever. And then the judge says, out. I mean, instead of raising hell about it, I just got to the point where I was just like, all right, well, at least one of those are out of the way, so good news is there's only one or two left for today, and we can get that crap out of the way, but learning to accept that and compose yourself to where you can deal with those, um, you know, learning to compose yourself so you don't let that emotion out of the bag. You know, sometimes I've seen women's groups um, on 3D targets where a call doesn't go a certain way and then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose in there and a lot of emotion gets flying around and everybody loses their composure. Um, I mean, I've seen it in a lot of guy groups too, but, um, you know, it seems like, I guess with the ladies and the higher voices, you can hear it a lot more, but, um, you gotta be the one person that maintains your composure because if that happens in your group, 
The good news is a lot of people are probably going to let that emotion and let that loss of composure dictate the next several arrows they're going to shoot. And that is an open door for you to gain ground, at least on three people on the that are on the roster. So let those types of things affect other people and not yourself. You know, many, mentally tough athletes know how to stay cool when things are heating up. A lot of times, I would almost get so calm during during arguments or things that I've actually had people that get more pissed off at me because I start to just talk quieter and slower and I just maintain my composure and it's they're almost getting more worked up because of the fact that I'm not arguing about it and wanting to fight about it. A lot of times if, if you have a real hothead, you can actually be more an advantage to yourself because you composing yourself and staying cool when everyone else is getting hot, you're going to end up actually benefiting from that situation. So the next one here is going to be courage. You know, if we look back, just because we've gone through several, you know, we've got, again, these are all seven, the seven C's, I call them. So we've got competitiveness, confidence, control, commitment, composure. And now we've got uh, courage, which is, you know, anyone that's going to be a high-level athlete or a champion you have to be willing to take risks. If you're not willing to take risks, then it means, one, your vision is ending short of what you really are capable of. And also, any standout performance has come from someone taking a risk and be willing to fail. You know, you have to be willing to fail in order to succeed. And a lot of times, the most rewarding accomplishments come after you've had so many defeats. And the bottom line is, you know, taking risks and being willing to fail, that's just what champions do. I mean, having courage week in and week out is really, really what separates the cream of the crop. The next one here is going to be consistency. And this is actually our last one. Um... And this is something that I took a lot of pride in once I was finally able to know how to make quality shots, uh, stress-free shots. And, you know, I was just happy being consistent. What I didn't like about being an archer that, you know, had target panic or that punched a release or that control fired a release, whatever you want to call it, um, what I hated about that was I could go on a 
I could go out on a course one week and, and shoot at a level that no one believed. But then like a day later, I would shoot at a level that was probably not even worthy of of registering at a tournament. And there was such a swing between highs and lows. Um, you know, I know that my first year um, shooting, my first two years shooting the IBO Worlds, I was just an amateur then. I shot a Scott Mongoose and a high country bow. Um, I know that from one year to the next year, there was a 70-point swing in performance, and it was a 70-point swing for the worse. Um, And it was simply because the one year I went there with no expectations on myself, and I just kind of shot, and I shot average. But the next year that I went, um, I had a lot of expectation. You know, people knew I was going to the Worlds. I made a big deal to everyone that I went to the Worlds. And, you know, I felt like, um, I just felt like I had a lot more pressure on me. And more people were watching what I was doing because I built that. For, I pretty much created that for myself. And I went out. And I was shooting in a higher class. It cost me more money to get in, the, you know, to enter that class. I was with better archers. And next thing I know, boom, 70-point swing in performance. Well, goodness gracious, that consistency was rotten. And that was probably the worst feeling I ever had in archery was not knowing whether I was good or bad. There was such a separation there that there was no consistency. And I can tell you that probably my best year as an archer um, was in, I think, 2005 or 2006. You know, I shot in seven different countries over a seven-month period of time. And um, I shot FIDAs from 1393 to 1397 um, in seven different countries ranging over seven months and seven different weather conditions. So for me to be able to have that kind of consistency, that right there is what really shows me that I was at the top of my game and that mentally everything was going the way that I wanted it to. Um, I was at a, I was at a perfect state of mind. Um, mentally tough athletes always tend to possess a natural internal strength, not only to do those other six C's that we talked about, but also that strength to want to be consistent. You know, it got to the point where if I started to have a bad day, I would almost have such an internal strength to shoot good enough to where I wouldn't shoot below my average that I could I could almost maintain a, a solid performance, not a winning performance, but a solid performance just because I was not willing to not be consistent. Um, you know, champions tend to always play at their best. Um even when they're at their worst, you know, you look at, you know, Michael Jordan when he played having the flu or, you know, there's just so many 
Um, you know, I guess from what I from what I've heard, like Levi uh, was pretty sick at the last tournament, and the same thing. You know, a lot of times those performances happen because your mind is so focused on just trying to make it through the day without puking or, you know, whatever the situation, that you don't allow those external negatives to come in. And that's why you actually play at your best. It's it's almost as if you're playing at what your level truly is because you're not giving your mind the ability to give an obstruction. So hopefully all of you out there who are trying to spruce up your game a little bit uh, mentally and all of you out there who are on the way to the ASA event this weekend, hopefully you guys can put some of these things down. And again, don't be afraid to get a little notebook you know, I think it's important for you to have some type of focus each and every time you go out. And, you know, that's what I used to do. I would find something that mentally motivated me. Uh, and then I would commit to continuing to look at it so that I would be able to, to have a good performance. I'm just looking through this little book right here. It's pretty old, so... I don't know if there's anything that's even... A lot of times, stuff that you write down um, makes a lot of sense at the time. But then you look at it even a few weeks later and you don't even realize what some of it means. But that that's actually a, a perfect reflection that you were in the zone. You were almost in your own little world at the time. So, you know, I think... Looking here. Well, can barely read my writing, let alone remember what the heck I was talking about back then. But it is important. So thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm going to go ahead and kick off another podcast here as soon as I get this one out of the way for all of my friends going to the tournament. And I'm going to jump into all the questions that you guys wanted me to answer. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com